All right, it is so, so, so good to see you guys, uh, even on a holiday weekend. Um, love being with you to worship. This is the time in our liturgy where one of our pastors will come up and preach to you and just declare gospel truth that is a living and active word and so heals you, convicts you, corrects you, shapes you, and really week after week after week in, in a mystical but real way unites us together in Christ. This is the last standalone sermon that we're going to do for a while, which the preachers always get excited about. These are the hardest to do. From next Sunday all the way through Christmas Sunday, we'll be preaching through the biblical book of 1 Thessalonians. You're going to love it. When you get here next week, there'll be a study guide for you to hang on to. The book is only five chapters long. You could probably make a discipline of reading through it once a week on your own in, in 20, 25 minutes as we go through this fall series together. Our soul care communities will also be working through that text as we preach through it. We are really hopeful that God in His grace will do an amazing work in your souls, in our souls together as we press into the text of that inspired scripture together. This was going to be the day that we were going to unite with Father's House. Um, if, you, if you didn't know, in May of last year, a friend, acquaintance of mine who's been planning a church four miles up the road in Wakefield reached out to me, to us, and just said, hey, I need some help. I need some brothers to just talk some things through. We invited him to spend the year with us, uh, spending some time with our pastors and other leaders. It was such a great year that we said, we don't want this to end. And in fact, what do you think about the, the 10 or 15, 20 people that you have with you joining with us together for mission for a season? Uh, we really felt that would be the best thing for him personally and for the people at that church. So um, that's what's going on. We would say in his sovereign and timely and marvelous grace, uh, God is giving us the gift of uniting together for the sake of his gospel. Now, you can see that they're not here today. That is not because they bailed out at the very last second. Uh, Joey was sick, sick, sick this week, actually spent four days in the hospital, um, and so he's still recovering. And about half of their teams of people were going to be away or helping move to college. And so they just said, hey, is it okay if we just land with you guys on the 13th and roll from there? And I said, that is great. So remember, we want to extend as much grace to them as we can in this transition. It's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for us. Um, but we've worked through it over these last um, 18 months now. And are really sure that God's going to be good to us as we do that. But today we are here, a lot of us Seven Mile Road people, some new faces too, and uh, what we're going to do in this sermon is what we try and do once a year, is just talk a little bit about the state of our church together, and about the very deep need for us to pursue unity together this year. Um, Brent read our text, I heard, hope that you heard those themes clearly in there, um, second half of this sermon, we'll be pressing into the words of Scripture and letting them shape us. So let's just pray and, and jump into this together. Father, we're stunned at your gospel, and we're amazed at the way that it unites us. I pray that this morning, every ear, every heart in here would both see the worth of your church 
and so get really fired up and eager to pursue unity, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the work that you're doing among us. We do pray for Joey that he would recover and bounce back from this illness, that he would learn a lot through it. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are coming to join us, that we would be servants who step out of their way and find ways that we can share meals with them and see what we can be praying about for them and loving them and lighting up this world through our love one for another. So just be with us in this time. Thank you that we get to press from preaching to sacrament. And so just drive our hearts now to your son, to his cross, to his death, to his resurrection. With my prayer, come and answer our prayer. Amen. All right, um, question to begin. Have you ever gotten after anything in your life just with every bit of pizzazz and passion and energy that you had inside of you? Just faced some kind of a challenge and just went full steam, full bore, like a hungry dog, like a chicken on a June bug. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Man, I have no idea what that means, but it just, the chicken must get after the June bug. Dave Colburn, can you help us with that one? No? You can. All right, let me know later. Um, There's been a few things in my life where I've been like that. One was my courtship of my wife. So man, I was just fierce with that. Met her, had never met somebody so pretty so mature, I was done, and I knew that she had to be mine. This was before the days of Facebook and emails, so it was more like a thousand phone calls, letters, flowers, gifts, visits, uninvited visits, pretty much stalking visits, hanging outside her house, 33 Pearl Street in Revere, waiting for her to come out uh, with her big hair, and I was just uh, driving down the street, hey! Uh, I got after that thing, and somehow I was blessed uh, to receive Grace as, as my wife. This was also my preparation for my senior year of basketball. At the end of my junior year, uh, it was pathetic, and the coach would always give out this 10-page document telling you your strengths and your weaknesses and what you had to work on for the coming year. Well, my strengths were all of a single word on the page, tall, you're tall. And then the other 9.9 pages was just all this pitiful stuff about how terrible my strength and my, my, my speed and my leaping ability and everything was. Literally, he had this little chart of the half court, and he had a circle drawn at the four foot from the hoop, and that was my range inside of the four foot mark. Well, I took that really personally, and over the next 10 months, between the end of the season and the beginning of the next, like a chicken on a June bug, I got after uh, basketball. So played three or four hours a day, lifted weights two hours a day. By the time we got to the first week of practice the next year, I actually had definition on these arms and just dominated the first two or three scrimmages. And I remember the coach calling me in the room and turning me around and saying, is that Matt Cruz or is this somebody different? I got after it as hard as I could. Grace has been like that with ants in our house recently. So we went away for a few days. We've got a bunch of little kids, so they like sugary stuff, cocoa crispies, cocoa puffs, anything cocoa. Something got left near the back door. Every ant in the greater Malden area found its way into our kitchen. I'm talking swimming in the toilet bowl, digging through the peanut butter, shelves, floor, corners, table, rugs, ants. 
grace got after the extermination of those ants like you have never seen before. Uh, traps, sprays came down once. She had this big black mask on like it was left behind. She's just spraying stuff, stomping ants out, and they are gone. You see that intensity? You see that passion? You see that fire? Right, this is how I need us to pursue unity together in the life of our church this year. In the words of the scripture, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's because we are on the cusp together of what is going to be the hardest hill that we have ever charged in the life of our church. Um, our unity, our oneness is going to be tested harder than it ever has been before. Um, now, the good thing is that the reasons for that are really, really good. So it's not that we had some kind of a moral failure in the leadership of the church, and now we're all split on how to deal with it. That, that's not it. It's not that we set this really high budget, and now our giving is low, and our focus is on money, and we got to figure that thing out, and there's division. No. It's not that there's any major issues going on between cliques or groups in the life of the church. It's none of that. It's simply because we're growing, and growth triggers change, and change can always cause conflict and division. Conflict and division. I could give you a hundred examples of how we'll be facing that this year. Let me just walk you through some of the obvious ones, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, number one, there's just more people. There's just more of us. I mean, this is Labor Day weekend, and look at, at who's gathered for worship together. If you ran the line chart, you spreadsheet folks of attendance here, you'd see something interesting. And again, we're not big on numbers equals success or anything like that. But when we started in 2002, really, that first full year of worshiping, there was about 49 people in worship. And then that jumped down to 45. I don't know what we did in those early years. And then it moved up to 52. And then 58, 60, 74. So that's a five, six-year stretch that we only grew by about 20 to 24 living, breathing human beings in a service. Since then, the year before last, we went up to 92, and this year it's closer to 120, and today we're probably near that mark, and we're about to hit September, and joining with, with Joey's crew, there's just going to be a lot more people here. And if I graph that out, you would also see that we're getting bigger faster. You know how that hockey stick bends and curves up? This is what we're going to be facing in the life of our church. For the Father's hopes, folks, God, Father's House folks, their church is going to grow by, I think, eight or 900% in a weekend. Do you see how that can be room for conflict and division? Now, there's a sense in which this is a great trend. Uh, the, the bigger that we can be, the more influence that we can have, the more prayers being prayed, the more souls being cared for, the more connections being made, the more hope there is for the gospel just north of Boston. So we're not anti-seeing our church grow. But we have to be aware that that creates more room for issues among us. So this is common sense. If you uh, get a lot of sinners together in community, you create space for sinning and being sinned against. What happens when you get a lot more sinners together in a community? There's a lot more room for sinning and being sinned against. 
Um, when it was just Grace and I living together, we had our issues, believe me, but we were able to work those things out, just get together every day, see each other, and talk them through. But when you add Matthew, Jacob, and Brandon, and Julia, and Callie to the mix, do you see what happens there? Instead of one relationship where there could be conflict and division, if you do the math, you actually end up with 15 relationships in our home now for conflict and division. So it's not just Grace and Matt. It's Grace and Matt, Grace and Brandon, Grace and Callie, Grace and Julia, Julia and Callie, Brandon and Callie, Brandon and Matthew, Matthew and Callie. See how that works? It's not adding, it's multiplication. So it used to be Grace frustrated with Matt for leaving out the gel, for leaving out the shaving cream, for leaving out the deodorant, for leaving out the toothpaste, for leaving out the jacar. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> Stuff would just sit on the counter with the cap off. That whole thing is still there, except for the gel part. But now we also have Grace frustrated with Brandon because he's convinced that the proper way to pee is with your fingers locked behind your head like this. <laughs> just rocking back and forth. So now our bathrooms both smell like an alley on Lansdowne Street every morning. You've got Grace uh, frustrated with Julia because she insists on trying on every single pair of shoes in the whole house. Even dads, it's just a mountain of shoes. You've got Grace frustrated with Matthew because he leaves his, his new bike out in the rain again. And you see Grace a little bit frustrated in our house. Uh, you've got me frustrated with Matthew because I found 127 Hershey Kiss wrappers underneath his pillowcase. Then you've got Matthew frustrated with Callie because she finds a way to wreck every one of his Lego creations. Then you've got Callie frustrated with Brandon because he's kicked her in the face multiple times now doing his somersaults. Do you guys get the point? So it is the same thing in the life of our church. More. More people, more ministries, more soul care communities, more opinions, more viewpoints, more misunderstandings, more attitudes, more frustrations, more hurt feelings. Brent walked into Paul Waugh's house the other day and didn't take his shoes off. I thought it was going to be go time. See what happens there? More ethnicities, more uncertainties, more room for more conflict and more division. If we are not eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we're in trouble. All right, second potential place for conflict and division, so let's keep saying this one out loud to each other, is more money. Even Biggie Smalls got this one, more money, more problems. Next thing you know, federal agents are tapping our cell phones and the phones in our basement. Am I the only rap fan in this place? Jeez, that got quiet. All right, seriously, our local giving in the life of this church next year, I'm hoping, blows through $200,000. That would be faithful giving for us. That is potential for conflict and division big time. We're supporting a Jay's mission, Kevin's mission, Sergio's mission. We had to sign new leases with the city. We're in desperate need of some more office space. We've got seven people now receiving some kind of part-time pay, helping to build this church. We receive requests all the time from really good local, really good global organizations asking if we can help financially. These are all hard decisions to make. And the more money that there is, the more decisions there are to be made, the more conflict that can come over who gets what, 
and why and how much. See that? If we're not eager as we grow to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we'll be in trouble. Um, a third place, I'm just naming a few, is that we've now got more pastors serving in the life of our church. This can get us in a couple of ways. The first can be within uh, our team itself. Um, an ox meeting, we call our pastors oxes, in the life of our church for a long time was just Matt standing in the bathroom mirror talking to himself. Hey, Pastor Matt, what do you think we should be bringing? Let's do that. It sounds good to me. Real quick conversations, a nod. And he would always nod right back to me, just like that. It was good. There was a lot of unity on the, on the pastor team. Joey's been doing the same thing in Wakefield for the last four years. Thank God, not any more. And so now, five of us, there can be room for conflict and division within that team that hasn't existed before. We've already experienced the emails going out that probably should have waited until they went out. How do we do that? How do we work together? You see that? And also, in the pastor thing, it can be hard for you guys to adjust to the changing roles now that we'll have five men giving their lives as pastors to the church. And I feel for you guys in this one. If, if you've been a part of our church since the beginning, you will have had to adjust with my role changing in multiple ways. Uh, if you went somewhere in Malden in 2002 or 2003... You were pretty much going to see me there. So I was putting all this effort into meeting people. So I would be meeting the counselors. If anybody invited me to pray a prayer, I would be there praying the prayer, calling the gospel to come and help us. Did puppet shows in the Celebrate Malden Parade. I have knocked on every single door that's in a, in a baseball throw radius of this building. Um, I was on MTV a bunch of different times. I'm sorry, MATV. More than access, television. All right, good. Uh, I would go down there. I would get on, you know, cooking show. Put me on, man. I want to meet people. Peanut butter and jelly. Here's how you do it. That's what you do when your church plan has, you know, 15, 11, 25 different people. Uh, now, my role has changed. It's weird. You're just as likely to find me in New Hampshire working with leaders, shaping their soul to, to multiply the work that we can do as you are to find me knocking on a door in this neighborhood. Um, more pastors means different roles than we've had to play before, and that can be hard to understand how that's happening. To add to the issue, we're still rolling with tent-making pastors here. We get to preach on this in Thessalonians. Basically what that means is none of our pastors are full-time just dedicating their time to you guys. That means we don't have the traditional office hours and office space and a full-time secretary answering the phone for us. That can be hard. It used to be I would just catch up with Matt, but now how is this rolling and how do I talk about my concerns and how am I heard? How does this happen? You guys see that? All kinds of room if we don't lead well and if we don't really get eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Right, I'm not going to exhaust the list for all of us. We could keep going all day on ways that conflict and division can crawl into the life of a church. I will tell you, if you surf the web and look up the 200 barrier, you will read all kinds of stories about church plants and the, the weight it was to push from where we are to a, a little bit bigger size of influence for the gospel. It is hard. It is very hard to do. All right. So now when you find yourself staring up at that hill... 
there's a bunch of different things that you can do. One is that you can just bail out and you can just say, no thanks, that hill is too steep, there's too much potential for conflict and division, too much change, I'm I'm not going to make it up this hill. So that is one thing that can happen. We would long for that not to happen with you. Um, Sometimes it does and it's not necessarily an awful thing. Some people function better in certain churches and sizes, but it can be easy to just say, I quit. And worse than that, I just quit the whole church thing. It's just going to be me and my Bible and my living room. Uh, Another thing that we can do is to stay, but to stay at arm's distance from each other, grumbling. To, To stay because we really do love each other, love the work that God has done in our souls through the gospel in the life of our church. And so it means something to me. But, but I'm not going to put the full effort in to pursue unity. And I'm just going to kind of stay at arm's distance. And, and for me, it becomes very easy to do that. And then to grumble and to criticize and to find fault and to find a friend who will cry in my Code Red Mountain Dew with me about changes and the issues and the distance. See that? Man, I would long for that not to be our response because there's a third option. And it's my favorite option of all. And that is this, to stay, to fight with us for unity, to give yourself to this community, eager to be about the maintaining of the unity of the Spirit. And that's what I'm begging you to do, and I've got a good reason to do that today. And here it is, because it is worth it. It is worth it. Because what we are doing here, building one expression of Jesus' church, is worth breaking a sweat to remain united. And that is because the worth of Jesus' church is just incalculable. Have you ever uh, bought something or done something or gotten involved in something and and you were really excited about it? And then it turned out to be even better than you had expected. All right, so we live in the age of hype with advertising agencies, and so that doesn't happen too often nowadays. Marketers overblow everything in this age. It's a miracle if something can even live up to expectations. I got a free sample of tag the other day. I sprayed it on my chest. I was expecting Grace to come kick it in the door and just tackle me. That's what happens in the tag ads. Where's my wife? She's not coming. Oh, I was disappointed. What happened there? I had expectations. They weren't even met, no less exceeded. Um, I've got an Amazon.com addiction because I'm a book reader, so I need an intervention with that click here to add to your cart button. So I was on Amazon the other day, and the front page was this big ad for Dan Brown's new novel. 50 million people can't wait to read this novel. And we will email it to your Kindle tonight so that you can wake up tomorrow morning and read it. There's no way a Dan Brown novel is worth all of that hype. And even if it's a great book, it's not going to exceed the hype that was given to us. There's very few things in your life that are going to exceed the expectations that you have, right? It's a short list. Your honeymoon is one of them. Man, I knew that thing was going to be great. I had no idea when I would get away for Grace for 
two weeks to share our life together. It was going to be that good. So honeymoon, everybody told me it was going to be great. Wow, even more than I had expected. There's other experiences like that. Do you know that for me, planting this church with you guys has been that kind of experience? Um, when we decided to plant a church, I had absolutely no churchology. The 50 cent word for that is ecclesiology, which just means an understanding or a good doctrine of the church. What drove me to plant Edgeworth Church in the very early days was just this crazy love that God had put into my heart for the people just north of Boston. I remember in that week sitting outside of Linden School when all the parents were coming and dropping off their kids and just crying and praying and loving those people. Um, uh, for me, the church thing was secondary to getting to tell people about Jesus and His grace. Church was just like the institution that created space for me to do that. I would have been just as happy standing on the street corner at Malden Center at 6 p.m. handing out tracts and sharing the gospel of grace. What I did not know then, I've come to see a little bit better now, is that me and you guys were actually giving our lives to the single greatest institution in the universe, the Church of Jesus Christ. The value of the church itself was way more than I had expected, which is really strange because I had been in 10,000 church services, but nobody had ever clearly unveiled for me, or in my hard-hearted ignorance, I had never heard the glory of the church. But over these years, what the scripture says about the church it has just taken my breath away. Over and over again, I have been arrested by the texts and the way that they speak about the church. Let me just hit you with a couple so you see what I'm talking about. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His blood. You guys hear that? What is the value of the church if God the Son's own blood had to be shed to pay for this to exist? Is the church worth it? Is it valuable? Ephesians 5.29, talking about husbands and wives and gospel, it says, look, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You hear that? Jesus cherishes the church. He loves it. He digs it. He cares for it. He has affections for this. If Jesus cherishes something, is it worth it? Is it of incredible value? Matthew 16, 18. On this rock, I will build my church. That promise should just take your breath away. What, what did Jesus promise was one of the things he would be about. He promised that he was going to do what it took to build this, to build his church. Galatians 4.26, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Throughout the New Covenant, the church is referred to as the New Jerusalem or the City of God. 
We know that God is our Father, that Christ is the groom, but did you ever think in terms of the church, corporately, being the mother of individual sinners who come to hear and respond to the gospel? Man, what do you do when your mom comes into a room, when your mom is hurting? What do you do when someone says a bad thing about your mom? It is go time. You respect your mother. You value your mom. There is nobody like the one who has nurtured and cared for you. And the Bible tells me the church is your mother, individual saints. Respect her. Love her. Fight for her. Good. I could keep going on and on the way that the scriptures talk about the church. I'll just give you one more because it's in Ephesians and it leads up to our text. Ephesians 3.10 Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who has created all things? And here's the killer. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. You should not be able to breathe after you read that paragraph of Scripture. God is recreating all things. He is making a brand new humanity. Men and women redeemed and restored to His image. He is beginning now to usher in an eternal kingdom. Where can people go to see what that is all about? Where can they go to watch God be about that infinite work? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. This is what we have going on here. And absolutely nothing less than that. This is not merely a religious organization. This is not a place where you come to hear a cool band or see a cute kid sermon. This is actually the arena or the community or the place where God is remaking all things. Creation and angels long to look into what happens when we gather around word and sacrament in community, one for the other. So do you see why bailing or arm's distance grumbling is just not an option? Because the worth of the church mandates that we give our full effort to maintaining the unity of the Spirit. It is worth breaking a sweat. With that whole thing there, hear the words of Scripture. Verse 1 that Brent read to us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the writer, the Apostle Paul, is about out of breath by the time he gets to chapter 4. But what we have is chapter 4 in this letter. He's just finished writing about the infinite glory of what God is doing in the church, writing about how Jews and Gentiles, both of whom were totally all done, toast, dead in their trespasses and their sins, have received grace in the gospel. 
and not only have their individual Jewish and Gentile sins been forgiven, but they have been united in this new community, the church of the living God. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Is there any higher calling than to be a part of that mystical, mysterious, universal, but beautiful church? There isn't. And so he says, because of that, I urge you, shake you, plead with you to start walking in a manner that lives up to that high calling. Walk in a manner worthy. And how does he call us to do that together? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing there is with humility and gentleness, with lowliness and meekness. Let's talk about that for a minute. One way that we can get after unity this year with this hard hill facing us is by thinking really lowly and really humbly about self, about ourselves. So you guys saw me do that deal with the kids. Instead of strutting around, serving. Here's the way that the Bible helps you to take that posture of serving. It calls you to see yourself rightly by comparing yourself to God and not to the person who is next to you. See, if you see yourself compared to me or him or her or people on this church in the church, uh, the chances are that you're going to find all kinds of good reasons to think really highly of yourself. We're not that great sinners. We're not all that incredibly talented. If you're just looking left and right, you will find a good reason to puff up and to start struggling. But if we see ourselves in the light of who God is, do you see how that changes everything? When I go over to Grace's mom's house for dinner on uh, Sunday nights, not only do I eat way too much, but I feel like the tallest guy on the planet. All right? Um, it's all these Sicilian Ita- Italians, and nobody's even up to my shoulders. Man, I strut. I hide stuff real high. Nobody will ever find it in that family, not even on a ladder. I feel like Kevin Garnett walking through the Shire when I'm uh, on Sag- Saratoga Street over there. Um, I-, I don't feel small. I feel big. My brother played college basketball, and so I would hang out with him and his basketball friends sometimes. You know what happened to get me to never think I'm too tall again? I got stuck on an elevator with a dozen guys from the basketball team. Goofy college guys, we all piled up. We went about three and a half stories up and froze. Here I am on an elevator, six, three and a half, thinking I'm big with the basketball team. Never felt so small in my life. Everything changed in that moment, huh? Mr. Big Shot was now the smallest guy on the elevator. James was 6'5", so the guy was 6'4", and everybody went up from there. You see what happened? Compared to them, lowly and little and humble. This is how we need to function here at Seven Mile Road. Uh, let's pretend that we're on the elevator with God. And when we see who He is and what His worth is and, and what kind of God we serve, there is no way 
we're going to strive. We will find ourselves humbled and correctly thinking of ourselves as servants. If we do it the other way, we're in great trouble. It can be so easy for our musicians to start to think highly of themselves and to cause conflict and division because they're more gifted than the next person next to them. But what if they sat down and started to reflect on the fact that God created sound, that God created the ear, that God thought of harmony? You think they're going to strut around this place? There's no way. It'd be very easy for some of us, me especially, who have been here, you know, since the first day, to think, ah, I've been faithful over these eight years. I don't have time for these new people to meet them, to have them influencing our community. See me strutting? But if I sat down and I reflected on God, who is eternal, infinite, and always in every way faithful, Man, my stretch of serving here and my petty faithfulness, it just fades. And I find myself lowly and humble and saying, how can I give myself to the new person? And in the reverse way, it works the same way. New people strut into a church, great church background, great experience, great talent, see all the things that are wrong with the way that we do it. What if you stopped and said, whoa, God, infinitely perfect, holy, glorious, man, how can I serve the folks that I'm meeting in the life of this church? I urge you guys not to compare yourself to the person next to you, but to compare yourself to God. And so see yourself lowly and meek and gentle and humble this year. All right, second thing that the text says is this, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is a hard word right here. Uh, the idea is for forbearance. It means to bear with. You hear the weight of that? I gotta bear with. I gotta endure. This is also the word for suffering or long suffering. It has a very hard edge to this word. I appreciate so much that this is in the text this morning. Um, that Paul gets it, that he gets what he is calling us to together, that he says, if you guys are going to get along, you're going to have to endure one another and suffer through some junk and be patient and forbear in love. Man, that frees me from the hypocritical need to think that me or anybody else in this church is just going to be perfect and really easy to get along with. The Bible is not naive. It understands the difficulty calling us together in community. Um, when it comes back to me over the years that different folks are just struggling or concerned or unsure or frustrated or hurt, I, I always sit down and I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. I'm an idiot. They've got an immature sinful guy as one of the pastors of the church. They've probably got great reason to be frustrated and concerned. And if they don't bear with if they don't endure with this sinner, if they don't forbear, if they are not for me, there's just no way this thing is going to work. I need that forbearance desperately from you guys. And you need it from me if we're going to make this thing work. And Paul gets that. He's not naive. He knows how quick a bunch of people can be grumpy and annoying 
and critical and unreliable. And so his counsel here is, it's worth it. Live up to the high calling, even if it is hard to forbear and to be patient and to endure. What is your timetable for bearing with people in the life of our church? And I mean brothers and sisters who love you, who have given their life to you. We can't measure our forbearance in in seconds or weeks or conversations or or phone calls. We got to measure it in years, in prayers, in repentance, in long strides. We have to be eager to do that in the long run if the unity of the Spirit is going to be maintained. And then the last thing I love is the way that he finishes this out. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love that he wants that word peace to define the life of Jesus' church. And I'm so afraid, but I'm so hopeful because I so want peace, peace, to define this next year in the life of our church together. The idea is a peace, of unity, of oneness, of a quietness, of a calm. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have enough madness to deal with in my life Uh, with my neighbors, with my day job, with this whole age that we live in. Just chaos, slander, people not pulling for me, people giving me an attitude, people uh, anticipating the worst from me. There's not a lot of peace out there in the world. Life is stressful enough out there, it's jacked enough out there for us to then come into this, the household of God, the church of Jesus. I need this to be a place of peace for my soul, a pace of calmness, of quiet, of oneness. I need to know that this is a place where I am loved, where you guys are for me, pulling for me, bearing for me, a safe place, a place of peace. I mean, it would make no sense for a church whose prince is the prince of peace who is headed for an eternity, you know, where there's going to be no swords, no conflict, no sin, no misunderstanding, no division. We're just going to be at peace forever with Christ. It would make no sense for us now to not pursue that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This shouldn't be a place of conflict and division. And when conflict and division comes, it should be a place where we are just fired up and eager to say, how can I serve you? How can I respond to you? I am sorry. How can I make this a place of calm and peace and safety for your soul? So we need to get after that thing. Do everything in our power to be eager to have Seven Mile Road be a place of oneness and peace in this crazy new year that we're about to get into. Here's how I'll encourage you to do this with me together. One is right here in worship. Did you ever think of the ways that God unites us together because we obey Him and we gather for worship? I mean, right at the beginning, we're called together. You've got to be in the same room with each other. You've got to be in proximity to one another. We all confess our sins to God together. 
all realizing how lowly we are and in need of our Savior, united before His cross. A big picture of God drives us to that humility. We are one body who comes to the one table to share a meal together as one every week. We lift our voices as one in song. You see what God does through corporate worship? He unites our hearts. So I long for you to be here week after week after week, to be united, humbled, redeemed before God. We're trying hard to do that through our soul care communities. So these are places where you can really become one and at peace and share life with a smaller community in the life of this church. Work out your issues, have your fights, end them with hugs, work through scripture, work through sin, work through big issues in the life of the church, pastorally with your leader. It's a safe place. I just had a huge conversation with my son two weeks ago. I didn't do it alone. I felt like the the brothers in that soul care community were with me when I sat down to talk with them. One brotherhood sharing our lives together. You see that? It's hard for Grace and I to be in soul care with four kids. But we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the life of this church. And so I'll do anything to see that happen. That's one way that God is gracing us to do it. Another way is through prayer. Man, if you find enemies, conflict, division, my number one call for you would be to start praying for that person. That is what I've tried hard to do when I've just sinned against someone and I'm desperate for their forgiveness or or they've given me an attitude. I just start praying for God's blessing and His grace to be upon them. And you know what I find my heart doing? Instead of being against them, my heart starts pulling for them. I can't wait to see them again. I'm so hopeful that we'll be united, reunited. And so let's let prayer be something that binds us together. And then the last very practical thing we're going to do is, as pastors, we're going to start to have member forums in the life of our church every single month. Now, you don't have to come to every single one, but we are very eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And we know the scattered way that we've done that has been hard for our members to feel like they're on the same page with us. And so we're going to create that space, put it on the schedule, and say, come, let's be united, because we're anxious to hear from you, to dialogue with you, to love you, to pray with you, so that you feel like there's a unity of the Spirit in what we're getting at. So you see that eagerness, that anxiousness? That is what I am praying that God gives us uh, biggest in this year together. The scriptures say that we'll be known by our love for each other. Uh, and I'm praying that God will help us to see that it's worth it, to drive us to be eager, to be lowly, to be real long-suffering, and to fight hard for the unity of the Spirit. When I pray now, look into your own heart and soul and see if that eagerness is there. See if that lowliness is there. See if that timetable for putting up with your brother and sister is really long. See if you long for peace to be the mark of the life of our church. Then we'll come down to Jesus' table as one united people and we'll celebrate this unbelievable gospel that has made this church and the big C church possible. And then we'll just sing together before God with this prayer in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. 
Thanks for Paul's challenge that we get to hear today. That because of the worth of your church, we would walk in a manner worthy of this calling that we have been called to. With lowliness and humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God, I confess the many ways that I have sinned against my brothers and sisters, been lazy, said things that I shouldn't have, just missed the boat as a pastor, as a brother. I thank you for the many who love me so much that they don't bail out and they don't stay at arm's distance, but they fight for unity, they forbear with a humble spirit. I pray that all of us would have hearts that are eager to see the work of God explode from this church and many others just north of Boston for your glory, for the joy of the many who we love deeply. Let peace and unity reign in the life of your church because it is worth it. It's worth it. Convince us and teach us and show us how to do that, I pray. In the good name of your Son. Amen.